Welcome to Bat Therapy, psychology of Batman, superheroes, and other comic book characters. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in the cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and educator and comic aficionado Keaton Hopkins. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube and social media and find our Patreon at patreon.com slash therapy. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. Okay, so I am very, very excited tonight. I am here at Nostalgia Newsstand here in Greenville, North Carolina, and I'm joined by my very good friend and owner of Nostalgia Newsstand, Juan Lopez. This place means a lot to me. My father used to come here and buy comic books, and then I started coming here and buying comic books, and it's moved several different locations. This is their brand new location. It's amazing, and I am way too giddy right now and <laughs> we love giddy keaton there's no such thing as way too giddy it's yeah it's it's amazing and juan is also one of the smartest people i know when it comes to comics i've always had really good conversations with him he always has made me see things from a different perspective even when i've even been guilty of like doing things like gatekeeping before and after talking to mm-hmm. Juan, i'm like you know what i can do better i can do better so i'm really <laughs> really excited that he um agreed to come on our podcast and chat with us the first then first thing i wanted to ask one um is so i know nostalgia has a pretty deep history like it's one of the oldest comic book stores in is it the east coast yes so nostalgia is the oldest comic store in north carolina south carolina it's been for 45 yard years in business. Wow. So the guy who created it, uh, Charles Lawrence, he was doing comic book shows uh, throughout North Carolina, Greenville, the attic, and downtown. And he decided to open a store to sell comic books since the direct market had started. And he was the first one to do it in North Carolina. Wow. Wow. I was surprised about that when I did the research when I purchased the store earlier this year. Yeah. And then when I checked uh, like documents and started researching with our retailers, we are like in the top 10 of all the comic book stores in the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know it what? Surprising. <laughs> I wish I had known all this back when I lived in Greenville. <laughs> no, you didn't appreciate it. You, I you, didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I never went. I've never been to the. Uh, yeah, I've never been. I don't think I went to a comic book store until, gosh, at least my mid twenties. And even now, I'm one of those people that goes in and feels like I don't belong, like I'm tricking people. And that's one of the things I was talking to Keaton early on. The store used to be very gatekeeping. Mm. It used to be very clicky. Yeah, and it was in a place where it looked like a cave, <laughs> like a basement. It wasn't <laughs> the most appealing when you walked in. Yeah, yeah, and that caused some, you know, like people to have these reactions of like, oh, the ceiling is falling. <laughs> nice comic books there, but you know, 
this, this place is dingy, dark. But that's how comic books used to be, like comic yeah. book stores back in the day. And I think the Big Bang Theory is one of those things that changed the perception of comic book stores. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. they started like putting more emphasis in the look, how to be more presentable for kids, adults, families. And stores like Midtown in New York, they have also have a bigger presence because they want to bring tourists. They want to bring mm. other, you know, people that are not usually, you know, going to a comic book store on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, and the a, another thing too that I think is really interesting is how because of comic book movies, especially like the MCU, it's it shifted so much more from it being nerddom to pop culture yes. like yeah yeah Thanos yeah Keith and i used was... to just have our conversations <laughs> quietly to ourselves and now yeah it, it's interesting how things have changed and and how you talk about being a nerd has definitely changed and yeah you know it's the, so so true about big bang theory too i hadn't thought about that part of everything. So big bang theory has a divisive fandom yes definitely There's <laughs> people that love it and people that hate it Oh, why do people hate uh, yeah, it? Yeah, like it was, it's not in the middle. There's always like <laughs> two extreme sides to it. I think the people that hate it is because they see themselves. <laughs> <laughs> see, I love yeah. it because I see my family. <laughs> when I saw it, I saw a lot of people that I see in comic book stores. Yeah, yeah. And the characters, you know, they are stereotypes, but at the same time, they made wearing a Batman t-shirt normal. Mm -hmm. That didn't used to happen. I remember like when I was in my teens uh, in Puerto Rico, like I would wear a Spider-Man shirt and people will try to make fun of me because I'm taller and I was stronger. People will, you know, think it twice about doing <laughs> that, but they will snicker. <laughs> I know other kids that didn't have my size if they mm. wore a Jurassic Park shirt, they will be called Jurassic throughout the whole school. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the perception of comic books and, and nerdy stuff back yeah. then. Once Big Bang Theory came out, I started seeing Walmart, Kmart, Circuit City, all these places have t shirts for mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. About Superman, Spider Man, Green Lantern, Flash, all the logos. And now that's the normal. Yeah. Now you see it at Kohl's, you see it on Amazon, you see it everywhere. It's true. So, and you see now kids, like my kids are wearing Superman shirts, Batman shirts all the time. And that didn't used to be the, the, the thing back then. It's it's really true. It's it's It really does blow my mind how it has become spread out. Like I've seen Avengers t-shirts on sale at Macy's. Yeah. Um, oh, that's weird. I mean, yeah, they had they had an Avengers skit on Saturday Night Live. Like that's yeah, how far yeah. we've come, right? It's I it's know. um it's, great. it's very very interesting how it has all um spread. And I know you touched on how it was in um in Puerto Rico. And one of the things I know that we wanted to uh, kind of chat with you about was how like almost like a history of Hispanic characters throughout um, 
throughout comic books. I know you have a, a wealth of knowledge. And I know before we recorded, you were telling me about some of these characters that uh, ashamedly I'd never even I'd never even heard of. Mm-mm. So one of the things is that in Puerto Rico, Latin America, Marvel and DC characters are big. They've always been big. Superman, Batman, Flash, Spider-Man, Sergeant Fury and the Howley Commanders. Uh, a lot of these characters, you could get them in newsstands or pharmacies back in the day or comic book stores. And it's a way where people like myself will read in English. Hmm. And at least in Puerto Rico, in Latin America, they were translating in Spanish. But at the same time, there wasn't a Latino character. Yeah. There wasn't somebody that we could identify with or that represented our culture. So Mexico had, for example, Chapulín Colorado, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a character that was created by Roberto Gómez Bolaño, who created El Chavo del Ocho. Those are to be like the two biggest TV shows that have come out of Mexico. And they spread through the whole Latin America to the point that I learned in the early 2000s that all those shows were made before I was born. And they have lasted over 60 years. Wow. And they're still popular. They're still popular. Wow. Chapulín Colorado, which means the red grasshopper, is just a comedy character. And that's the one, so so I just saw Blue Beetle, and that's the one that they referenced, right? Yeah, yeah. and honestly, I had no idea about this character until Blue Beetle came out. Yeah, a lot of people don't have any idea at all. Like, he's never been part of American culture until immigration from Mexicans and Brazilians and Puerto Ricans to the U.S. And every now and then, you will see somebody with the heart symbol mm-hmm. of the Chapulín Colorado and you could quickly identify because it's a very kind of like a Spider-Man logo Batman logo, you identify it that's yeah. how big it is Yeah, there. yeah, it is and it has so many cash races that you can communicate like with other people and say no contaba con mi astucia which is one of the cash races and everybody will understand where it comes from wow that's really wow yeah it's, this is yeah i felt so bad like i i almost I honestly felt bad when you were telling me about the mouse i've never i've never heard of these characters but they are so popular so how long was it before it was has it ever been shown here in yes univision still shows them uh so the they never been translated into english there's always been in spanish or portuguese for the Brazilian crowd in in Brazil. And the character, it was created in 1972, 1973, lasted until 1979. After that, it was just reruns. And the show kept being showed in reruns throughout my generation. My brother's generation was five years younger. My cousin's generation was like 10, 15 years younger. And to this day, channels like Univision and Televisa, they will have like a half hour of El Chavo del Ocho and Chapulín Colorado. So it's still part of pop culture. It's 
such a funny show and so witty and so it has heart mm. and because of that it's so memorable that transcends generations and it's one of the reasons i think it's on blue beetle because the the director he's my age i'm 43 so he's my age he grew up with the same programming that i did back in in the day in puerto rico and the Chavo Locho make a huge impact on his life. And because of that, he did an honor, you know, a tribute to the character in Blue Beetle, which is amazing because those characters, I think it's the first time he's appeared on a U.S. TV or U.S. movie. Wow. Mm. And, you know, represent, representation is always so important. Like, I remember as a kid, um, I was I was really big into like power into Power Rangers, right? And the Black Ranger was Zach, and he he but he was African American, so it was one of those things. I'm like, nice. He looks he looks just like I do. Well, when he when they retired his character, he was replaced by a character named Carlos, who was a Hispanic character. And I remember I had a friend in elementary school with me, and when that happened, he was so excited it was yeah. such mm -hmm. a big deal to him and i remember because i remember how it felt with me when i saw zach i was like oh that's cool like it's the power ranger he looks like he looks yeah. just like me and then when carlos came in he looked just like him and it was so it was one of those things where we were we were kind of high-fiving we were we were definitely high-fiving each you, other for, you get a connection yeah and that's one of the things that is lovely about this because when you identify with a character you see yourself in it but you see characteristics of your race or your culture, it transcends the character's costumes or powers. Mm. And unfortunately, it hasn't happened that much in the Latino culture in the U.S. comic book industry. Right. Why it's do you one of the things that... that we were talking early on. Yeah. What, why do you think that is? Because, I mean, there... th there's, I, I, I mean, Keaton and I grew up in an area, there's, there's a lot of folks from Latin America in huge parts of the United States. What, why do you think it took so long? I think in part because the big two companies of comic books, Marvel Comics and DC Comics, never had like a lot of Latinos working behind the scenes. Mm. They always had like white people or black people working, but it's been like, a lot of white people working mm -hmm. then in the 70s they started hiring more black people and that's when they hired george paris the first latino oh. and he's the one that first introduced like a latino character in comic books but he's also puerto rican but from new york mm. <clears throat> sorry so he has a different perspective of the puerto rican culture because it's more of a new Yorkian culture when he introduced a character named White Tiger, he made it Puerto Rican. The name is excellent, Puerto Rican. The religious side, Catholic, mostly Puerto Rican. But the way he spoke, it was Niger Rican. Oh. The thing is that in the U.S. culture, Every Latino has been portrayed as being the same. 
mostly mm-hmm. like everybody's Mexican. Yeah. Because the majority of the people that came through an era were Mexican. But we are diverse. The way is Mexican speaks is very different from how a Puerto Rican speaks, from how an Argentinian speaks, how a Dominican speaks, and how New Yorkian speaks is a lot of Spanglish. Mm. Not necessarily the way Puerto Ricans speak on a daily basis. And that character had that controversy early on. Is yeah, his representation of Puerto Rican, but not completely. Mm-hmm. And but he was doing his best. George was always a very like uh pushing the idea of having diversity Latino characters and not having bad stereotypes about them. Because for example, later on there's an infamous character that came in called Bai from the you guys probably seen it on the Flash TV show. Okay, yeah. Yes. Um Cisco Ramon. Cisco Ramon, mm-hmm. right. So let's start with the name. Cisco Ramon is not even a Spanish name or a Latino name. And I did Cis- not even think of that. Yeah. Cisco is supposed to be short for Francisco, but that's how they rename it later on. When he oh. started it, his comic book character was named Paco Ramon. Ramon is never a last name. He's always a first name. Mm. The guy who created, he didn't do it on purpose, but the perception he had of Latinos at the time, it was the early 80s, it was about breakdancers and kind of like cholos, uh, which is kind of like Mexicans that have emigrated through the United States on the West Coast and have become gang members. And that was the character that was being portrayed in the Justice League. People in the industry saw it from the beginning. It was like, that's something wrong. It's not right. And it made George Perez, who was the hottest artist at the time, reject doing Justice League. He was the guy doing at the time the hottest book, New Teen Titans. And he was offered to come in for Justice League, take over because the sales were not good. And he said, no, once Bible was introduced, no. And the first thing he did later on in the crisis, he didn't use the character. And I think he tried to kill the character (laughs) (laughs) not because he felt so disrespected. And it it is that proud Latino side that when you see something like that, that is just a stereotype and it's so bad, you don't want anything to do with it and you want to eliminate it. Yeah. That it's stereotypes are extremely uh extremely frustrating even when i was um when i first talked to you about uh coming on the podcast and the subject matter i sat down and i was sitting there thinking about hispanic characters that i remember and so often they were heavily stereotyped the the one that comes to mind for me was uh speedy gonzalez yeah and and his friend like it like yeah, which is vocal. Yeah, and and but like looking at it, it's like oh, oh no, which is fine because he used to be was one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. I absolutely loved it. But then you look at it now, and it's like oh, yeah, that is problematic. In the defense of the people at Warner Brothers who created the Looney Tunes, 
oldie characters are stereotyped. <laughs> That's true. Oldie yeah. characters. Yeah. You go from Pepe Le Pew, uh, number five. Because in his first uh, appearance, he wasn't even French. Huh. He was Wait, playing what? a French guy to try to get himself a girl. And at the end of the episode, his wife shows up and calls him another name, like Herman or something. And, <laughs> what are you doing? And the two kids are with him. Like he was trying to be like this Lothario, but he was married with kids. <laughs> but everybody else had always been like a stereotype. Fuck hog leghorns, they're typical of the South. Right. Which is funny too, because in Spanish, he is a complete different character. Really? Is so different and so important to our culture that is i wasn't i wasn't aware of it so in english he speaks with this southern accent like uh i say i say mm-hmm. like this because he was based on a politician from the era from my understanding in the latino culture when he's uh, translated in latin america he speaks like when a kid a teenager his voice breaks and it has become a saying when a kid's voice breaks, oh, you're sounding like Fuck Hawk Leghorn. But in Spanish, they call him Gallo Claudio. Huh. Oh my God, that's amazing. That is- yeah, it goes from I'll say, I'll say to in Spanish, Digo, Digo, Gallo, no gallina. <laughs> we're like, wow. And I didn't know this until I got cable when I was like five, six years old. Yeah. I was watching it in Spanish and I'm seeing this character break his voice throughout the whole episode. And then they're doing reruns on TBS around 1985, 86. And I see Fargo Leghorn. I'm like, what? What is that? It's so different. It's <laughs> a different character. I think, wow. I think you're bringing up a really good point, though, about stereotyping. And it's it's hard. It's hard to acknowledge and represent a a culture a background a demographic without inadvertently going into stereotyping or oversimplifying and actually in psychology i mean we've got similar stuff going on just like what you're talking about in the comic book arena like uh diversity equity inclusion all these things have been really important and unfortunately mental health treatment has been really overrun with a lot of people of certain backgrounds and demographics. And the research has been done on certain backgrounds and demographics. And then the attempt is to generalize it to everyone and you cannot do that. And so one of the things that at least in psychology, we're trying to do a better job of is actually what you were talking about, Juan, you were saying one of the issues within the comics is who are the writers who are the illustrators? Who's behind the scenes? And the same with us. So um, who are the people that you're training? How how are people able to get the experiences they need to even be accepted into the programs to then later have diversification of your researchers, your therapists, your consultants, and, and everyone? Um, but yeah, it is really hard to to try and, I think, understand people outside of your own culture without inadvertently putting them in a box. It's like our brains want to oversimplify and put things in a box. We understand better when it's a box, but you have to be really, really careful or you end up with, I mean, I mean, even 
I didn't, I didn't know about, I mean, I knew about George Perez, but I didn't even know about like, of course, even we each have to be careful. I mean, Keaton has his own story. Juan, you have yours. I have mine. So even when it comes to other people like us, we still have to be careful that we don't accidentally um, miss, I guess, misidentify them. And I, you know, I think that's why it's so important and great now that whenever these um, minority superheroes are portrayed now, it seems like the industry's been trying to do a really good job about getting someone of that ethnicity, of that background to do it. Like, you know, like uh, with Blue Beetle, uh, with uh, Ryan Coogler and the Black Panther movies. I think it's been really, really good making sure, hey, let's get someone that actually has this background, right? Like, and it was, it, and it shows in like the, the details, the details, and Mm -hmm. it means so much to people that come from that background. That was the perfect thing that you said, because it shows again, who's behind the scenes. Yeah. Who is the people making decisions? And one of the best places I saw this recently was in the Spider-Man Mouse Morales game for PlayStation. Mm. So the game takes in in New York, mm-hmm. in uh, Brooklyn, and Brooklyn has a certain aspect and look in the Puerto Rican section. The way the details are portrayed in the windows, the flags, the markets. I was surprised of how beautiful and accurate it is. Mm. And when I saw the behind the scenes, the people that were working it, they live there. They are New Yorkans. They are people who have experienced that culture in, from childhood. And he made it authentic. And he made it special. And people were amazed of the game, but that type of detail gives an extra love to it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even from the outside, I think that that's so wonderful. Like, uh, I remember when Shang-Chi came out, and I loved seeing all of the different kind of cultural aspects and things going on. Or um, I... I'm not a video gamer, but when like Spider-Verse came out and and getting to see more of Miles Morales, um, Black Panther and see, it, it's so amazing um, to be able to delve into these, these cultures, even when it's not your own. And I think that's one of the sad things is that it, at least my impression has been that there have been huge doubts that any we won't have enough people who care who want to see these kinds of these kinds of movies or things but it, it why not i mean it's so incredible to be able to delve in and i don't know i, I i'm glad that there's been a shift because yeah when you can just really zoom in on a snapshot to really take in a person's experience that's different than yours that's precious and it's just really amazing to be able to do that it's great that you brought in uh into a spider-verse and across the spider-verse and miles because there's a lot of stories about his creation 
and the controversy that it caused back in 2011. It was huge. I got a friend that is, uh, was an editor at Marvel Comics at the time and helped with the creation of Miles Morales. He's Puerto Rican. We grew up together. In, uh, we were since middle school together. And he, he knows the experience of being a Puerto Rican. He never saw anything wrong with suggesting Miles Morales to be replacement of Peter Parker of the Ultimate Universe. It's not the main Peter Parker that we all know and love. It's a different universe. Mm-hmm. The moment the news broke, he told me that he never seen as much hate in, through emails, mail, social yeah. media. And the worst part is that this wasn't anonymous. It was actually people signing, putting their address, putting their real names with threats with so much hate and he never understood like we don't understand why and at one point it was doubted if they will go Hmm. marvel said no we're going with it through everybody else we're going miles morales brian uh michael bendis uh with uh jonathan hickman and clayton crane and sarah pichelli it was like a group effort everybody created the character they, the name was the only thing that is a little bit weird, uh, but they wanted to make an emphasis that he was a black and Latino character. Mm. Uh, the whole thing about him using his mom's name, uh, maiden name, as his last name was a little bit confusing, but it's a different world, different universe. Yeah. The one with it is kind of like Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, Miles Morales. It has a ring to it. Yeah, it's got to have yeah. the alliteration. Yeah. yeah. So the week before the book was coming out, uh, this Fox business reporter, Lou Dobbs, comes out and does this hack job saying that here comes Marvel taking another white character out of circulation to replace him with a Latino. Oh, heaven forbid. There are tons of white characters. Who cares? Exactly. (laughs) Why couldn't Marvel create a new character? Yo, this is a new character. It's just a <laughs> legacy character. It's using the name, but when you, once you read it, and the book hasn't come out. So this is just a speculation on his end. I know John Stewart in The Daily Show made fun of him, saying uh, <laughs> that this is what Lou Dobbs was afraid of because it was a Latino that could climb walls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, Not wrong, but yeah, it's... It's what's so interesting is how angry yeah. people got, even though they weren't retiring Peter Parker. No. Like Peter Parker was not going anywhere. It was like it, they were just introducing another character in that universe with a similar power set. Again, and this is the purpose about misinformation. It's just gonna mm-hmm. create outrage and create clicks and ratings. At that point, in that Ultimate Universe, half of the universe had died. It was Ant-Man, like Reed Richards, the Fantastic Four, uh, Mr. Fantastic, was the bad guy. It's a different story. And it's a storyline. Peter Parker in that universe was dying. So here comes Miles Morales. At no point, any reporter 
anybody made reference to what I just said. They just were saying he's replacing white mm. character Peter Park. And throughout the first part, when the comic book came out, there was some reaction to it. There was this idea, oh, yeah, is a replacement, is just trying to be diversity for the sake of diversity. No, it was an original character. I was so glad that Into the Spiders came in in 2018. So good. So good. Like, so good. It is amazing because it showed everybody what I had been telling them for many years. This is a new character. Mm -hmm. This is a different persona, has Afro-Latino roots. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful done. I went to see it by myself because my wife was pregnant at the time. And I was the only one in the theater at that point. I think I went to see it at midnight because I had like just travel and came in and I was just by myself. And when the movie ended, I'm crying. Because I'm seeing myself in that character. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like, I'm glad that it was so great. I'm glad that he received so much acceptance that when he won the Academy Award, I think it was, uh, I don't remember the actress, but she has, she was announcing and she said, the winner into the Spider-Verse. And she said, yeah, like because <laughs> it was, so it's an amazing character and movie that it transcended barriers. And I, I think that's the key is that Miles Morales, he, I mean, you watch that movie and there's absolutely no question that he is a fully formed, complex, intriguing character versus, yeah, like you were saying before, I mean, there, there are times where there are these shallow replacements or... How do we diversify just to diversify? But yeah, it, it just, you, I don't think you can create that quality of a movie without really having fully formulated his character. And another thing that's, that I really liked about it too, is we have finally gotten to this point that they can do minority characters and give them regular stories and and by that i mean mm. like from my standpoint like anytime like there were so many times where if they gave you a black superhero whoever they were fighting was a white supremacist or a uh. dirty cop like it was always something where it's like the main focus was their race and what they were fighting against and and i just i really love that we have gotten to a point now where you can have a minority character like Miles Morales and the central plot point isn't focused on his race. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's a good story, but it's not just his uh his race. And and it's a conversation I've had with a lot of friends that are minorities. It's like, hey, like like as a black man, I get tired of seeing movies where it's uh, uh, about slavery or about mm -hmm. them struggling in the, the ghetto. Or um, yeah. I had a, a friend in Mexico, like, can we please get a movie about a Mexican family and illegal immigration just does not come up 
at all, right? Like, and and so it's I I do like that we are getting to the point where it's almost like they treat minorities like regular people as they should. <laughs> There's a fine line. There's always been a fine line about that because you have to show something about their race, right. but you cannot patronize about it. Yes. Yeah. And I think I never saw through the show, but Freddie Prince Sr. On the show he was in in the 70s, I heard he was like that. Uh, Chico and the Chico Man. Chico and the Man. Yes. So the show, like Chico, has a Latino name, all this stuff. But his race was joke here and there. But the show was about them. The reality of the time, his work, his relationship with his wife, with co-workers. And yes, race will come here and there, but it wasn't the central focus all the time. Mm. And that fine line is hard to do. It's hard to do it correctly. But when it's done with the characters like Mouse Morales, it's great. It comes out being authentic and not yeah. being patronizing or a way that it becomes a stereotype too. It's 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 also very interesting how people will take will will take things without even really thinking about it like you were telling me about the the fox reporter and it's it's always so strange how this is an issue in a fictional comic book universe like in a world full of green and red hulks people will get mad yeah. at a brown Spider-Man, right? Or they'll get mad when a minority actor or act uh, gets cast in a Star Wars movie that's set in space. And it's what are what are we doing, right? Like what are we doing? It's it's well, always it's so bizarre. To and me. it's particularly bizarre too because, like you took that example, a lot of Star Trek fans will get really mad at. All of it. oh, why are we throwing in all these different? We don't. Da, da. Do you know where Star Trek started? Yep. I mean, they were they were breaking some serious barriers back in the day. Um, I mean, they had one of the first uh, interracial kisses. The Granted, first. they yep. the first. was it, it the was, first? It was the first. Yeah. And I think they kiss. only got away with it because they were like, "Well, this guy's an alien, so you you have to let us do it. Doesn't count." You know, they had to they had to find a way. And they they fought for it, I believe. I, did, I can't remember yeah. the story, but they fought. It was it created a controversy behind the scenes. It was almost done without permission from CBS, and they just risked it. They risked to get canceled, you know. Which I mean, how incredible is that? I mean, these incredible stories, and yet somehow we have these incredible stories, and even. I mean, one of the things I like about science fiction and fantasy and comics and these things is you you can you can. Uh, you can break through barriers in different ways because of how you approach things. And yet we as the consumers can get stuck even because, yeah, I mean, you're talking about how upset people get. Um, I think I think it can be one of those unfortunate things where we become so passionate and so connected that we almost we restrict the thing that we care about. You know, you're you're almost loving it to the point where you suffocate it to death. So and that so to I, me I is think... gatekeeping. That's mm. the definition of gatekeeping to me. One of the things when I purchase a store, 
was to eliminate this gatekeeping in my comic book store. Mm. A lot of people were asking me, hey, why you got a young adult book here uh, where Clark Kent and Lex Luthor are friends and like teenagers? Yeah. I'm like, because there's people that come in, buy it. Well, but it's not for me. Well, not everything has to be for you. Right. <laughs> and that's the point. When yeah. something is put out there, then it's not for this person. A lot of them react negatively to it with an analyzing, not everything has to be made for me. Yes. And I think that's important. I think it's important to not only be surrounded by things made for you. And, and in some ways, our world is, it's easier to see those other things. And in, and in other ways, it's actually harder because we also have all these algorithms that are being keyed up to affect the world around us to be specifically targeted towards you. All the ads you see, all the, you know, different things that pop up, what comes up on your feeds and all of that. And I think in some ways it actually, even though we've got more information at our fingertips, we're actually in some ways less used to being surrounded by things that aren't attuned to us. But I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's important to not have everything around you be specifically made for you and you know, not not to speak as a white person, but most things in the United States for a really long time have been targeted toward white people. And I think in some ways, sometimes that can be a really, like a really big and, and off-putting shift, I think sometimes, because you you don't realize it. You're so, so, you're so used to it that you don't notice until all of a sudden you're like, wait, this wasn't made for me. Something's wrong here when really it's actually something going right. I, I think it's also like a, I, I feel like comic books have always been a huge reflection of the society that mm. we live in. And so the fact that we're seeing this diversification now, it, it, it really is hopeful because it, like I said, because it's such a reflection of the society we live in, it does show that things are shifting and things are changing. Like I, when we were talking about vibe earlier, that vibe from the beginning is a very, very different vibe from the one we saw mm. in the Flash TV show that was without those stereotypes and the a brilliant, smart, sophisticated, yeah. hilarious character. Honestly, I kind of veered away from the flash when he left i was he was one of my favorite characters on the show. oh for sure yeah cisco Ramon, he was amazing and so it was it was really interesting hearing you talk about how different he was when he was first introduced i was doing some digging in and he was part of uh was it justice league detroit yes yeah, that so that's why he was part of that team because he was a superpower guy who reside in detroit but he was part of a gang and to get out of the gang and in his parents he became friends with booster gold and he became part of the justice league but everything that was written was just stereotypical and at one point he had you know the justice league fight a gang rival of his and it was almost like somebody had watched the movie breaking and decided to make it a comic book mm. <laughs> so Right. I'm glad I'm glad that George Perez got to see this Cisco this yeah. Cisco Ramon 
is a character that was such a bad taste in the Latino culture that it wasn't until it was ragged uh, by Jeff Johns in the New 52 mm. with the purpose to bring him to TV and basically redo him, reboot the character, making a positive uh, person for the Latino community. And so far it worked. And again, we know he's Latino, but that wasn't the central aspect of his character. He mm -hmm. was in the acquisition of the powers, his brain, his family dynamic, uh, and it made the character interesting. And like you said, once the character was of the TV show, a lot of people left. Yeah. 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 I. Gosh, I, this has been, this, this has all been like, so uh, eye opening. And I think it's because, uh, like you touched on, uh, Emilia, how we can only think, see things through our personal lens, our personal perspective. And so getting your perspective on yeah. these characters has been, uh, has been absolutely phenomenal. No, appreciate it. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. And, you know, sometimes Keaton and I, you know, we come up too with, okay, what ideas do you have? What do we want to talk about? Then we look at our list and we're like, ah, there's a lot of white guys on here. What do we <laughs> Yeah, we even have. Yeah, <laughs> what do we do about that? Um, and there's nothing wrong with white guys, but if that's all you have, you're really limiting yourself in terms of what you can delve into. There are just so many different experiences out there. And um, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, like when when we were really young, the United States was all about the melting pot, right? And so we were trying to make it so everybody was the exact same, which made no sense. Um, but I'm... Uh, I can't remember which of you, I think we're, we've all been talking about just um, how comic books have shifted. And Keaton, I think you were saying it's kind of a, it mirrors the times. And I, I'm really glad that we're getting to just see all of these different characters and just opening things, opening our eyes more <laughs> to people outside of just our immediate circle or the... Um, quote unquote, majority culture, which I think really what the discovery is, is what many people have known all along. There's not a majority. There's there's just a whole bunch of different, wonderful um, varieties out there. So yeah, Juan, thank you so much. This no has problem. been, this has been uh, great. One of the things I was thinking that this has been happening forever and mm. the X-Men are the primary example. I have back here John Size X Men number one. I always tell people that complain about new comics and diversity. I said, if that comic came out today, will you have accepted it? Will you have accepted a new mm. team of X Men where everybody is from around the world? Mm. They replaced five white characters Angel, Iceman, Cyclops, Beast, and Jean Grey. Yeah. Brought in Wolverine from Canada, uh, Warpath or his brother—I forget his name—that mm -hmm. Native, Native American. American, Colossus, Colossus, Russian, yeah, Storm, mm. African American, uh, Banshee, 
uh, Irish, mm-hmm. and then what was it? Nightcrawler, 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 mm. uh, German. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So we got a theme from the world, mutants from different country. That was accepted with open arms back in 1971-72. Why can't that be like that now with every other comic book? Yeah. We get now that Miss Marvel is a mutant. You have to see the hate and the vitriol that is coming on social media about it. To the point that the actress, who is now the writer of the comic book, and she's portraying Miss Marvel in the Marvels, she doesn't have social media. That's sad. Yeah. She's going to be a... part of this amazing world where people love her because of the hate of this group that feel that her character shouldn't exist. And her character's amazing. Yeah. It's actually, uh, gosh, I remember I was visiting a friend once and she had, he had the first, I don't know, like 10 uh, and I just, I, I just whipped through them so quickly. I was like, this comic is amazing. I just don't, yeah, it makes me sad. That makes me and so sad. To me as a comic book owner, a comic book store owner, I see a new generation of females coming to the store. Mm. That's what I want. I want yep. more people, younger people, because our old people are going to pass away sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I cannot depend on people that are 50, 60, 70 years old carrying the comic book industry. I want people that are kids that are 5, 10, yeah. 15, 20 of all races, of all genders to come here to the store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's good because and because I ideally we want every person of every race, of every generation to be able to tell their story and tell their point of view because the world is a different place for every single person on the planet right so why not get that perspective like whenever i read comic books i don't or any kind of book i don't like the same thing over and over i want a different perspective um Mm. and and so yeah it's it's very it is very cool that times are changing and we're getting that and not only that going back to the we're talking about how in our teenage years it was kind of like close mm-hmm. group. You were kind of ashamed, like you didn't tell a lot of people you were a comic book fan. I'm glad now this has become mainstream mm. that you can tell somebody you're a comic book fan without being ashamed or yeah. somebody being made fun of. Yeah, I remember like my wife, she still laughs to this day. But I think it took like two months after we dated that I told her, Hey, I'm a comic book fan. <laughs> I need to go pick up my comic books at the comic book store. Go with me. Oh, that's too cute. <laughs> because back then, like this, I'm talking, you know, 2000, 2001, you still didn't do that if you were a comic book reader. Oh, this is a geek, a nerd. And I was an athlete. So yeah. <laughs> as an athlete, you couldn't say that. I was one of the cool kids. And I don't know, you couldn't tell like you were a comic book uh, geek or anything like that. You know, part of me wonders if a lot of the the that that community that uh, that gatekeeping community is it because of that huge change and that resentment mm. that they've held on to for being, you know, almost being like basically an outsider for so long 
And yeah. then now it becoming mainstream and it's like, oh no, you don't get to be, you don't get to come yeah. here now. And it's like, you're, I mean, that happens you're in becoming a lot of villain. places. Yeah. <laughs> like so, sometimes, you know, um, if say a woman gets high up in a company, a lot of times she was the hardest one on a woman, the next woman coming up, right? There's almost this like innate thing where sometimes if something's been such a struggle, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to kind of let that go. Um, and Smith also if that was your that in his space. podcast that yeah. it was when he started with comic books, it was a group. It was exclusive people and your geek friends that you have your mm. secret codes and secret language. And now having people come in and share that is kind of like uncomfortable because you didn't go through it. You know, you didn't go through all the bullying. And it's something else that I saw in Big Bang Theory that the biggest bullies are, are the nerds. Like, they become, once mm. they grow up, they become bullies of other people that are just trying to, you know, enjoy their part of the culture. And yeah. I'm hoping that that stops because I love this industry. I love comic books. And I love that the world is seeing now with the MCU and the DC movies they're seeing all this love that I had for this industry out on the big screen. Yeah. And, you know, when the X-Men movie came back in 2000, I was so proud of it because it's kind of like, finally, we're getting comic books and people are not ashamed of it. It was, it was an exciting time for sure. Like I'm, that that's one, that's one era. I'm, I'm very happy we got to grow up in the, the rise of the, the rise of the comic book movie. Look before then, The Crow had come out. Oh, Nobody said lady. that it was a comic book movie. Road <laughs> to Perdition. Nobody said it was a graphic novel. Excellent. Men in Black. Nobody mentioned that it was a comic book. Even Blade. They sh- it's yeah, a vampire yeah. movie. Vampire <laughs> killing movie. I never thought about that. Oh yeah, they didn't. Yeah, you didn't. We knew it was. We knew it was based on comic <laughs> books, but everyone else like. Keep it under and there's many other movies <laughs> from that era that people were just like a history of a balance mm-hmm. people wouldn't want to relate it to a comic book even though it came from a comic book because of the stigma mm. and because of the horrible movies that came in the 80s you know with punisher without the uh skull or the captain america movies oh, that were that really bad so there was this shame in the industry and in general to relate something to comic books because to this day a lot of adults a lot of a certain generation i want to like say boomers but (laughs) (laughs) they still feel that comic books are for kids Mm. that uh comic books are not literature that they're not art I still remember like when the Sandman came came out, Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. he won the Hugo Award. They redid the rules so no, no new graphic novel can win the next year. What? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Wow. What? They wouldn't need... Come on, it's Neil Gaiman of all people. Of like... all people. And wow. the Sandman was amazing. But yeah. it broke the rules because nobody expected that come from a graphic novel. Huh. I'm it's I'm a... I'm still really hurt that it did not get a single Emmy nomination. 
this year. I am <laughs> really, really angry about that because <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. I've always I love Sandman, and it was that adaptation that Netflix had was yep. so after amazing. so many years of trying to yeah. to be released and then complete snub for the for the Emmys, not single single one. But you know that's a that's for another episode. I'll I will, <laughs> I will vent later on about my beef with that. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, thank you, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on and chatting with us, Juan. Everyone, if you're ever in the area, make sure to stop by Nostalgia Newsstand. Yep, Greenville, North Carolina, oldest comic book store in yeah. North Carolina, and apparently a number of surrounding states. Yeah, which is super cool. Oh, thank you for having me in. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. It was fun. This is awesome. We'll love to come back and talk to you guys' comic books. Definitely. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Amelia Brown. And I'm educator and comic aficionado, Keaton Hopkins. Check out my TV and movie reviews on YouTube at TeamJVS. Check out our website at bat-therapy.com our Bat Therapy YouTube channel and follow us on social media and don't forget our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bat therapy. See you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.